Welcome. You're listening to the How to Make a Life podcast. I'm your host, licensed clinical social worker and life coach, Cheryl Wolverton. Your life is unique to you, and there's no such thing as one size fits all. Your beautiful world needs to be different from your mother's, sister's, and best friend. I empower my clients in recognizing their individual needs and guide them in establishing a personalized how-to manual specifically for them. This is a podcast that helps you stop searching for that one perfect how-to plan and realize you are the expert of you. Life doesn't come with instructions. We each get to write our own. Welcome back to the How to Make a Life podcast. I'm your host, Cheryl Wolverton. As always, I'm honored you've chosen to spend your time with me. It's always my hope that something I have to say, whether it be a podcast episode, an Instagram or Facebook post, or a Sessions with Cheryl newsletter, that someone receives something that is beneficial. I truly want you to know how much it means when you share that something I've said has helped you. Honestly, that's why I do what I do. Today's topic is coming up for a few reasons. And I suppose the universe has been giving me all types of signs to create this episode. And for those of you who do not know me, it's time for me to share a little bit about who I am and why I do what I do. Let's just start with the month of February. I want to begin by saying it is not a difficult month for me. And that is saying something for someone who is not a winner fan. February is the month that James proposed to me, and we joke that we are one of those cheesy couples that gets engaged on Valentine's Day. February is also the month that James and I have closed on two homes that we have built. For whatever reason, we evidently like taking the chance on moving into a new home in February in the state of Kentucky, where you can get anywhere from a massive snow or ice storm to weather in the 70s. I will go ahead and add that every moving day we've had in February, we've also had unseasonably warm weather, and one of those days was a 70-degree day. February is the month of my parents' wedding anniversary and also my dad's birthday. But February is also the anniversary month of my mom's death. Before I go any further, I want to add that I don't dread the anniversary date, and I know that many people continue to struggle with the anniversary death of a loved one. I knew the year that my mom died that the month wasn't jaded. It was simply a perfect example of how our lives can include such wonderful and amazing memories wrapped alongside sad and sometimes painful ones. Although I'm always aware of the date, there has been something about this year that has been with me more than it typically is. This coming Friday the 19th marks eight years And it feels both much longer than that and also like it's been a short time frame. But grief does that. It warps your perception of time. And so I felt it was time to spend some time discussing grief here on the podcast and sharing the lessons from loss that I have from my personal and professional experience. To start, let me share with you that grief is a very normal and healthy emotion that every one of us feels when we lose something or someone. Notice I said when we lose something or someone. 
Typically, many only associate grief emotions with the death of someone we love. However, I feel the past year of COVID has hopefully helped some of us in regard to acknowledging the sadness and grief that comes along with losing traditions and rituals such as graduations and weddings. There's the loss of a job, whether the job is actually let go or having to change how we work. We deal with the loss of freedom and independence when we are sick or no longer unable to travel and behave like we used to. We struggle and grieve the loss of routine and relationships. We might grieve moving to a new city where we know no one. In my work as a grief counselor, I sometimes worked with women who were in rehab, and we discussed how they were grieving their life of addiction. You and I grieve the habits of our lifestyle we are trying to change. We grieve the death of our pets, children moving out and going to college, and our youth as we grow older. Grief is a part of our life, but very few of us like to talk about it. I might add, I've often said I could talk about grief all day. When you've worked as a grief counselor and been considered an expert, that is really what you do. In many ways, grief has always been a part of my life, and I do not fear it. And I believe that is why I've been able to hold space for so many clients throughout my career. Honestly, the best way to describe grief is that it sucks. Grief is a bitch. Grief hits you out of nowhere. It's like waves in the ocean knocking you down and hard to stand against the current. And it can feel like that heavy winter coat that you just can't get off. And you and I will grieve our losses for as long as we are alive. It is simply up to us and how we choose to live with our grief. As a backstory for those of you who do not know, the first significant death I had in my life was at age 10 when my father died in a boating accident. Within the four years that followed, I also had the deaths of two great-grandparents and my grandfather, followed by many extended family members. I can remember every holiday season simply thanking God for those around the table and hoping we could continue to celebrate together. A death that hit me hard as a teenager was the car accident death of my friend Sheila in our senior year of high school. Her death hit me hard because for the first time, I realized death didn't just happen to those who were older than me. It could be me. Later in college, I would also have a co-worker die by suicide, which was something absolutely none of us saw coming as he showed no signs of depression. I was fortunate enough to only lose great-grandparents after that, but my family was getting smaller. I believe that I was called to do grief work in hospice because of my own experiences. My experiences with my personal health issues and the deaths of the loved ones I had have allowed me to understand the journey in a way that education and training simply cannot. But I want to point out, as a grief counselor, I rarely shared any of my story unless I felt it was beneficial to my client. As a coach, I've chosen to be more open over the past years with my story, as I know it is beneficial to others who are walking their own grief journeys. With the death of both my dad and later my maternal granddaddy, my mom and nanny were the women in my life. I watched these two women do everything and ask for help for very little throughout my childhood. My nanny, in her mid-80s at the time, even took care of my mom during her short illness. In the fall of 2012, my mom had an x-ray for bronchitis 
and an observant radiologist stated something looked odd on a portion of the kidney that showed. And he stated he felt it needed to be examined. Within a short time later, she was diagnosed with a rare form of kidney cancer. Without that x-ray, I know that my mom's journey would have been even shorter as she had no signs. And I am thankful for that radiologist. The story of a terminal illness is different, often depending upon one's diagnosis. And I like to say that although my mom's diagnosis was really only over a few months, her decline was very much like going off a cliff when it happened. She attempted chemo and radiation with little success. And then in February of 2013, she declined rapidly and was admitted to hospice and died five days later. My hope at that time was I would get to have my nanny in my life for much longer. However, two months after my mom's death, she was diagnosed with colon cancer and died two months after that. We do think that she likely had signs before my mom's diagnosis, but she was never in pain and she was stubborn and probably just pushed through even if there was something odd, thinking it was nothing. What I also didn't put in the above timeline was about seven years of infertility treatments and miscarriages. If I had been able to stay pregnant in 2012, the baby would have been due around January 27th of 2013. I knew, even as I was helping my mom with her illness, that losing the baby was in some ways a blessing because I don't know how I could have cared for her at the same time as being pregnant. And thus, eight years ago, I began another grief journey. I left my position as a grief counselor as I knew I could set with others who were grieving while I was trying to grieve myself. I started looking at what I wanted the next chapter of my life to look like. This is what I remind every client that I work with and what I constantly reminded myself during that time. You and I do not have a choice that someone dies, but we do have a choice in how we grieve. There is no right or wrong way in how to grieve. There's only healthy and unhealthy. Grief is normal, but on a regular basis, you and I don't grieve. So when we begin to grieve, we often feel like we're going crazy. Many times my clients would come into my office and state, Cheryl, I think I'm going crazy. And we would discuss what was going on and they would simply be experiencing normal grief emotions. I also want to add that you may have heard of Kubler-Ross's stages of grief. And although it is normal to experience sadness, anger, depression, bargaining, and later acceptance, I do not follow the theory of linear stages and that we must go through each stage. Part of the reason my coaching business is called How to Make a Life is because so many clients wanted me to hand them a How to Grieve book. And I would share there isn't one. And if there was one, there would be parts that wouldn't fit what they needed to do. And that would make them feel as if they were doing everything wrong. I can't point out enough that we need to be kind to each other and ourselves when we're grieving. Many times my grieving clients felt that they were being dismissed by statements such as, Are you still grieving? Haven't you got over that yet? It was their time. You can have more children. You're young. You've just got to move on. And with each of these statements, they often felt that they weren't doing things in the right way. 
I was initially going to end this episode going over the wide range of normal grief reactions that one may experience, but I will link the handout that I provide to clients in the show notes instead. What I'm going to do is end this post with a portion of what was initially a blog post that I wrote titled Lessons from Loss. I will link the complete post in the show notes also. Number one, grief takes longer than one expects. Grief has no timeline. One does not walk through a magical door at the one-year anniversary of a death and no longer feel loss. The truth is, the second and third years after a death are often more difficult. The shock and numbness is gone. The completion of estates and wills is finished. Then there is the time to set with painful emotions. The effects of grief are magnified when there are complications such as multiple or public losses. Rebuilding a life takes time. It will take as long as it needs, and there is no magical checklist. Number two, grief is physically exhausting. Grief is not something that one can put up in a closet and focus upon later. Grief goes with us everywhere we go. Grief goes with us to the grocery store, church, work, out with friends. Even when there's a good night's sleep, Grievers wake up exhausted. Rest is something I have always encouraged my clients to do, but not something that I did for myself. I wish I had allowed myself more time to rest during the first two years of my grief. There was only one day that I can recall of staying home in my yoga pants and watching Netflix. Instead, I kept pushing forward to complete task. Number three, grief does get better but it takes work. After my mom's death, a well-meaning individual stated, it never gets better. I stopped her and I said that I felt it would. I had the privilege of 12 years at the time of working with grieving individuals who had shared that the acute pain does not last forever. The cliche statement of time heals is partially true, Over time, grief emotions do not overwhelm the days and become only moments that we need to address. However, grief requires work. Healing does not come without the care of acknowledging the pain, caring for the tired body, resting the soul, and reevaluating where to go. There are many who struggle with healing from grief and find it easier to ignore the emotions with drugs, alcohol, and other ways of numbing. This only prolongs the process. As I said, one does not have a choice regarding a death or loss, but one does have a choice in how to grieve. I want to add here that indeed, my grief is much better. Number four, where you receive and don't receive, your support will surprise you. I have a wonderful group of friends who I was able to share what I needed There have been many instances of support I've received, and one of the first that stands out is when my two co-workers, Sharon and Whitney, came to my house the weekend after my mom's funeral. One brought soup that she'd made, and the other brought chocolate and wine. Most importantly, they sat with me. They let me share the story of the days before my mom's death, and they simply listened. I've often stated that the one thing that someone who is grieving needs is to have someone's presence. As a grief counselor, sometimes the magic of my job was giving someone the space to share 
and know that I was present. I had many moments of the gift of presence. I've also had acquaintances grow into close friends over the past years because of our mutual losses. These were individuals who reached out with support as they knew what I was going through. As a result, I have friendships that I would never have. Sadly, as often happens on a regular basis, I also had people who I thought would be supportive that were uncomfortable with my grief. These were individuals where I had to act as if nothing were wrong. People do not know what to say, and many say nothing at all. As a result, there have been a few friendships that have faded over the past few years. I have seen this happen to several clients, and I was not surprised that it happened to me. Nonetheless, it hurts when someone you expected to receive support from is scared by your pain. Number five, grief will force you to evaluate your faith and spiritual belief system. Why do certain people die? Is there something else out there? Regardless of how devout or irreligious one is, grief and loss force evaluation of the presence or the lack of a higher power. I have watched clients question the belief system they had their whole life, and even others find comfort in a belief they knew little about. The teachings of faith are abstract. Death forces us to often make worldly sense of events. Initially, I did find comfort and peace in my belief system. However, over the past few years, I've often questioned some of those beliefs. The pain of grief can make one feel there is nothing out there. And this journey is different for each of us question if you need to. Number six, you will no longer be the person you were, but you have some control over who you become. One has no control over the fact that someone has died. One does have control over how one responds to the grief that follows. And honestly, I don't think I can ever say that statement enough. After a death, you are permanently changed. You cannot return to the person you were before. You will never be that person again. The options are to become bitter, angry, and unhealthy, or work through the pain and grow from it. There is a loss of identity without the role of daughter, mother, wife, or friend. It takes time to figure out who the new person will become. And adapting to a new life story can be difficult but sometimes it can be better than the original story was going to be. And finally, grief helps you to have gratitude for every day and everyone in it. After the death of my dad, I was well aware of how quickly someone could be gone. I do speak on gratitude often, and it's something that I practice every day. I tell the people in my life that I love them. Rather than focus upon what I don't have, I recognize what I have been given. Despite the losses, I have learned that life can be and is still good. The grief journey is different for each of us, but our personal stories do provide a blueprint of what one might expect. It's my hope with today's episode that there is something I have said that helps you to see you have the ability to get through whatever it is you are facing. If you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please share it and pass it along. Until next time, my friends, from the bottom of my heart, 
Thank you for listening. If you love this episode, I would be honored if you subscribe, leave a short review, and share this episode with your friends. Continue the conversation with me on Facebook at How to Make a Life Health and Life Coaching and on Instagram at How to Make a Life. If you're interested in receiving my newsletter, working with me as a client, or hiring me as a speaker, visit my website at howtomakealife.com. Remember, life doesn't come with instructions. You get to write your own.